If you will, go ahead and mark your Bibles in the book of Matthew chapter 16 and then turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 and you're set for this study of God's Word. Matthew chapter 16 and 1 Peter chapter 1 and our thoughts at least some of them will come from those passages of scripture. I want to commend this church and uh, Tim for always picking good themes, great themes. I have learned um, things that you've learned through the years. And um, I like my topic. Um, I have learned that the church is important. And this is not um, a highly sophisticated sermon, but um, it's a good sermon, not because I'm preaching it. And in my humble judgment, it's a very important sermon for our time. So it's good and an important sermon because it needs to be understood, especially in our time by both Christians and non-Christians. So this is how I'm going to approach it as we just begin to walk through it. I want to remind us of what the church is, and then I'll do some things that I have learned and why it's important and leave you with a challenge as members of the body of Christ. And once we get through that, that's our sermon for tonight. Let's begin with an understanding of what the church is. What are we talking about when we talk about the church? Let me explain what it is, and then I'll take just a minute to say why that's really important. Look in Matthew chapter 16, and I'm beginning at verse number 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven And I also say to you 
that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven to you, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. This experience with Peter as Jesus walked along the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And I'm starting with Peter because I think if anybody knows how important the church is, Peter would know. Jesus trained him, taught him for some years, and then when he thought they finally had it, he said, who do you think I am? Peter confessed, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You might remember on another occasion, Jesus had fed 5,000 people a miracle, and then he started talking about who he really was. I'm the bread of life. And people started leaving. He turned to the 12 and said, are you going to? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter was absolutely convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And Jesus talked to Peter like this. You didn't just understand that. It was kind of revealed to you from my father. And I say to you that you're Peter and I'm going to build my church. I, I don't think it's accidental that in Acts, the recording is that Peter preached that gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2 when 3,000 people were baptized into Christ. Don't forget that. 3,000 people baptized into Christ and that Peter preached to the household of Cornelius and Gentiles were baptized into the church of Christ. Peter is the man. That's why I say if a human understands the real importance of the church, Peter would understand. And then I ask you to mark the book of 1 Peter because that gives us a good way to understand Peter's understanding of the church of Christ. Look in your Bibles in 1 Peter chapter 1 and just walk with me for a minute until you get the point. I'm trying to show you what the church is. 
chapter 1, 1 Peter, verse number 1. To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. That's Peter writing to these Christians scattered. Verse number three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Now think about it for just a moment. Peter writes to Christians who he says have been born again. They've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They've been born again to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. And that incorruptible inheritance is reserved in heaven for you until you receive the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Peter is writing to people who've been born again and they're heaven bound. Christians who are on their way to heaven right at the end of chapter 1. Since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because 
All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And it is this word through which the gospel is preached unto you. So what did you say there, Peter? I said that you were born again by the word of God. I said that you purified your souls according to truth. And we're not surprised because John said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So to purify your soul according to truth is to purify your soul according to the word of God. To be born again according to the word of God is to be born again according to truth. And he writes to these people who have been born again, purified their souls according to God's word, according to truth. And they're on their way to heaven. Now in chapter 2, to the same group of people, chapter 2, verse number 9, he writes, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. What's the church? The church is a body of born-again people who have been called out of darkness into marvelous light. Once they were not a people, they were lost, not a people, but they became the people of God. Once they had not obtained mercy, but now they have obtained mercy. Once in darkness, not a people without mercy, but born again according to the word of God, and now in the marvelous light, people of God under God's mercy. That's what I'm calling the church. And I'm saying that that's a very significant group of people in this world, and they're important for this world. And the reason I think we ought to understand what the church is, is because we live in a world where people don't quite understand. There are people who are still talking about um, the church is just a denomination. If you understand what I just said, the church can't be a denomination. There are people who say, well, the church is just a building with a, with a name on it. If you understand what I just said, the church can't be a building. It's a body of people. There's still people who are saying, 
well, well, you know, makes no difference about the church because the church is in your heart. If you understand what I just said, the church can't be in your heart. When a person obeys the gospel, God takes that born-again person out of the world and adds him to the church. He doesn't put the church in the man. He puts the man in the church. So it's not just something in you. It's not a building with a name on it. It's not a denomination. It's a body of people born again, heaven-bound for the praise and honor and glory of God. Now, why is the church so important in this world? And what, what have we learned over the years about the importance of the church? Fortunately for me, I got in the church when I was a boy. And so I've been in it almost all of my life. And I tell people pretty often that the church has been my life, almost literally, all my life, and that I appreciate it more today than I did when I started. As a matter of fact, sometimes I can get a little defensive about the church because I, I love the Lord's church. I've been in all kinds of contexts where I would get a little defensive. You remember when, when God was talking to Elijah? He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I'm very jealous for the Lord, God of hosts, because they've broken down his altars and, and I'm the only one left. That really wasn't true, but, but I do understand Elijah a little bit. I think what he was saying is sometimes I get a little defensive about God because they've got all of these idols all over the land and, and, and I'm for the God of heaven. And I'm a little bit like that sometimes with the church. I'm for, I'm for the church. And I don't like for people to to criticize the church. I don't like for people to mock the church. I don't like for people to make jokes about the church. I've been in a context that I'm thinking about right now where people started talking about the church, and I'm talking about Christian people talking about the church, and it started bothering me. And They were talking about the progressive church and the traditional church, and finally I raised my hand. I said, sometimes when I hear you talk, I don't know what you're talking about because that has not been my experience. And sometimes when I hear you talk, I think I'm in it. So what is the traditional church? If I've ever gotten an answer to that, I really didn't hear it. You say, Brother Red, what are you trying to say? I'm just trying to say that that I think we ought to learn to love the church and love the Lord for purchasing 
the church with his own blood. All of those people called out of darkness into marvelous light paid for with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And they make up the church. And so often in my life, I've tried to tell people, you can't really have a church without Christ. And you can't have Christ without the church. Oh, I hear people saying, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. I, I really just need Jesus. No, I don't need the, Just give me Jesus. And I usually wind up trying to tell people they don't, they don't come like that. You can't have Jesus without the church. And you can't have the church without Christ. Years ago, I had a little car. I may have told you this story before. But I had a little car, and a member of the church backed over it. And he hit the bumper and pressed the bumper in. I thought it was just a tail light. I told him, don't worry about it, because I'll get it fixed. I'll go to the junkyard tomorrow and, and, and get a tail light and put it back in, and, and, and we'll be through with this. Didn't, didn't worry about it at all, because when I was a younger man, uh, you, you could do that. But then I think I slept through the revolution because I got up the next morning, went to the junkyard. Man, the junkyard said, that's a dealer part. I went to the dealer to buy the part thinking, man, I was going to pay 3 or $4. This is going to cost me $17, $18. I went to the dealer. He said, um, I said, I want to buy a taillight lens. I never will forget it. For a 1983 Oldsmobile Forenza. The guy looked at me and said, uh, if you want that taillight lens, you got to buy the whole taillight assembly. I said, I don't want to buy the taillight assembly. I want to buy the taillight lens. He looked right back at me and said, they don't come like that. They don't come separate. If you want that taillight lens, you've got to buy the whole taillight assembly. And I wound up paying closer to $80 and then had to have the thing put in. And by the time I got there, I started thinking maybe I should have charged Brother Graham for that. But um, only thing I knew to do with it was make a sermon. So I still tell people when they come along and say, just give me Jesus. I say, let me tell you right now, Jesus and the church don't come separate. They're together. And if you take Jesus, you're going to have to take the church. Let me just read something to you. And you think through this. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. It, the church, is the body of Christ. 
For he himself, Christ, is our peace, who hath made both Jew and Gentile one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God by the by, uh, through the body by the cross. That Christ reconcile Jews and Gentiles into one body through the cross. Cross. One body made up of every Jew and Gentile. Now to him who is able to do exceeding Abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, do you know what I was reading? I, I was just reading through chapters, verses and chapters from the first five chapters of the book of Ephesians to show you that all through that book, it's Christ and the church, and they don't come separate. So what have I learned through the years about the church? There have been many times in my uh, life when I was a little defensive. But there have been other times when I was very grateful for being in the church. And do you know today when I travel, I'm glad I'm in the church because I remember Times when I was traveling down the road and my car quit, guess who I was looking for? The Christians. If I could just find a phone book, find the Church of Christ, find out who the preacher is, and, and tell them who I am, and, and the camaraderie, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, I've been stranded, found Christians, and I was glad that I was in the church. I remember when I was preaching in West Memphis, a tornado came through. And I told plenty of people of all the places I would rather be in a tornado, I'd rather be in the Lord's church. I was so impressed with the outpouring of love from Christians across the nation. Now, I know that sometimes we have a reputation that we're not as helpful as we ought to be. But I think when there's a cause, a real cause, and Christian people know there's a cause, and, and other Christian people, we almost revert to 
to the Christians helping the, the poor saints in Jerusalem, God's people, helping each other. I remember when we moved into the Midtown building in Memphis, we moved into that building, able to move into that building, only because of the camaraderie and the fellowship of, of Christian people. I could go on and on with that for the rest of the time. Time will not allow me to tell you the stories of what I've experienced in guiding nine children and the help and uh, the experiences with God through the church and Christian people and loss and death and pain and the support and help of Christian people. Yeah, I don't mind admitting it. I'm a member of the Lord's church, and I have learned through experience that it's a good place to be. But what I want to leave you with is the, the number one reason I believe the church is important. And, and this is the reason that I hope you'll take with you. The number one reason the church is important and the number one reason the church exists is for salvation. As a matter of fact, if you take that out, the church loses its power. You know why we exist? You know why? The, so we can be saved. Salvation is in Christ and in the church of Christ. There's a little book. It's not little anymore, and it's pretty dated by a man named Jim Collins. Jim Collins has in his book, Good to Great, it's really a business book. And... Um, he has what he calls a hedgehog concept. And you get to that hedgehog concept by raising three pretty important questions. It's a business book. What drives your financial engine? What are you really passionate about? And what can you be the best in the world at? I mean, what can you do better than anybody else in the world? What are you really passionate about? And what drives your financial engine? And that forms the little hedgehog concept. And the good to great businesses use that to go from a good business to a great business. Have you ever thought about those for church? What is it that we can be the best in the world at? What are you passionate about? What are you, 
what drives the financial engine, all those are, are important. But, but what can we be the best in the world at? Keep thinking about that. Let me tell you another one. Sometimes in modern times, people get a little confused in my judgment because they say, oh, yeah, Brother Ed, I understand what you mean when you say the church helped you out, the church helped you out. And, and then they start saying, well, the church is a, is a help organization. It ought to help. I agree. I understand. But, but let me tell you something I hope you'll never forget. The church is not just a help organization. It's about salvation. And there are a number of things that we cannot be the best in the world at. Our youth groups are not going to build basketball teams that can beat the Grizzlies. We're not going to be the best in the world at that. We're not going to be the best in the world at, as a matter of fact. There are people who can beat us doing a whole lot of things. But let me put one in your mind that we could be the best in the world at. Saving the souls of people. And nobody can beat us at that. Because they don't have the God. They don't have the Savior. And the Savior only has one church. I'm not really kidding when I tell people that I work for the only eternal organization under the sun. It's the Lord's church. As many people as FedEx employs, when, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back for FedEx. He's not coming back for any other business, including when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for the church. And the church is the only eternal organization under the sun, the gates of hell will not stop it. And so what we can do that, that nobody else can do better than us is we can hold up this gospel torch and tell the people how to be saved. Let me tell you one other thing about it. That church, the body of Christ, salvation institution, is the light for this world. The world is not our light. We're the light of the world. So Jesus comes on the scene and starts talking about the kingdom of God. And he said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. We have answers that the world really needs. And what we're called to do is preach the gospel, save the souls of people, 
and help those people live sanctified lives before Jesus Christ, our Lord. Every once in a while, I hear people say, let me tell you about the church. The church is declining. The churches of Christ are, are dying and, and, and declining, and, and we just got so many million, and we used to have more million. And I, and, and I, I just want to say sometimes, I hear you, and I understand that. But you do know we have more than, we still have more than we started with. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people baptized into Christ. That's where we started. 3,000. Do you know that we probably have that many Christians in Memphis? Here's the challenge for us, and I'm through. We've got to restore our understanding of what the church is and what it's really about. And we've got to become passionate about our purpose for existence in this world. Because we have something that we can be and do better than anybody else in the world. So I've learned that the church is a good place to be. I've learned to love it more than, than I ever have. And I hope I'll never forget, I hope you'll never forget, that the primary purpose of the church is the salvation of the souls of men and women. And when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for the church. If you're here tonight and not a Christian, I hope you'll think about becoming a Christian. You'll need the church. You'll need to be in the church when Jesus comes back. How does a person become a member of the church? You've got to believe in Jesus. You've got to repent of your sins, make a confession with your mouth, and be buried with Christ in baptism for the remission of sins. You say, well, well, I didn't think you had to be baptized. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. And if anybody ought to know, Jesus ought to know. You've got to believe and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And the Lord will add you to the church and you'll be in Christ Jesus. If you're already a Christian, I hope you'll make it your business to to remember God's purpose for the church and kind of become more passionate about it and learn to love it more. If you're subject to the invitation, we bid you come as we stand together to sing our song of encouragement.